Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about the Body Love Card in Habit. And on the front of the card, the goddess is kind of shaking her booty to music playing, and there's two bongo drums in the background, and her little deer power animal is also dancing, and it's a very happy, loving, energetic card in the front. And in the back it says, And habit means to live in our bodies, not in our heads. When we learn to be present in our bodies, to move out of the obsessive thinking and into our feelings, we can learn to identify and meet our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. First, we must be aware that we are in the obsession, in the thinking, in the head. Then we can use our breath to bring our awareness into our body and explore what we are experiencing in our bodies. So for me, is the hardest part about getting this for myself and for my clients, I think, is that we have to live in our bodies and not in our heads. And I was taught to live in my head, that it was all about my head. I felt like I was a lollipop. I had a head and that it didn't matter the rest of my body. It was like a lollipop. You just held onto the stick, and <laughs> but it was all about the top. And uh, it was very hard to live in my body. I didn't like my body. I had been taught not to like my body. My body was a lot of pain and a lot of shame, a lot of upset. So part of my process and the process I see other people go through is to go into that, to get out of the obsessive thinking or the thinking, 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 and get into the feeling. And our feelings a lot of times are in our bodies. So I just want to open that up to a discussion with my wonderful guest today, Dia. And I tell the story about I saw her many years ago in a play, I think three women. And it was called Leftovers in San Francisco. I don't even know how long ago that was. It was in the 80s. 80s, oh my God. The name of the play was Leftovers, The Ups and Downs of a Compulsive Eater. And it was so refreshing to just be talking about this, have this play about this, and be free about this. It was, uh, like I told you, it it really made a huge impression on me. And like I told you, I still have the magnet. (laughs) So great. I still remember it so wonderfully. I think I took myself and a few, I was leading a group, so I was a a time out of school. You know, we got to go to the city and see a play, (laughs) a field trip, right. 
So I'm going to introduce Thea to us, and she's going to tell us what she's doing these days, what she's working on, and what's up with her. Well, first of all, it's Dea. Just sorry, that's okay. Everybody does it, so I'm just going to say that. Well, to talk about what I'm doing really dovetails into the inhabit card, so I can kind of combine the two. So my background was in doing expressive arts therapies and recreation therapy. Before I moved on to body image and eating disorders, I just used those modalities for all different kinds of diagnoses and worked in different hospitals and things. But what I found was that so many of the people I was working with also had issues about their bodies and eating disorders. And I started to realize that when you meet with somebody in an office and they already have a problem with integrating their body and their head, that they talk as if they're cut off. It's like the lollipop metaphor you just used. So they talk about how, oh, that body, I hate that body. It's like completely that body. It's not. I hate that part. part. Yeah. So there's this totally distancing thing that's going on. And sometimes I would get this image that I was there in my chair and there would be a head on the chair across from me. And somewhere out in the world was this person's body that was like, hello, 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 what about me? What about me? So I started to do these sessions called walkie talkies. And I figured as long as I was a recreation therapy, I would be able to start to incorporate some recreation in the work I was doing. And it would get people, hopefully, to get out of their head and be more in their bodies as we worked on the issues of self-acceptance and and body image issues. And it turned out to be a really good modality because people, as they're walking, it would be difficult for them not to be appreciating their body, because we would go to these beautiful places to the parks and lakes, and we would see beautiful birds and stuff. And it would be hard for them not to say, wow, I wouldn't have gotten here without this body. Like somehow this body is doing something good for me today. And I worked very hard on what you talked about inhabiting. And the other thing is, is I made them take off their Fitbits because I didn't want the walking to be equated with the weight loss or I'm getting in my steps. I mean, if they needed to do the Fitbit stuff in other parts of their lives, fine. But when we were doing our walkie talkies, I wanted them to start to appreciate the movement, the activity as something separate from whether they had a big tush or, you know, they (laughs) didn't feel comfortable or they were thinking about the food or Whatever. So I think the inhabit card really resonated with me on that level. Yeah. And I love what you're saying. It's sort of like you were literally getting them into their feet. If you're going to walk around the lake, you have to be in your feet and you have to use your senses. There's air, there's birds singing, there's water lapping, there's something happening. And they have to sort of be in that body. They have to embody it. And good for you for coming up with that. That's a great way to 
Well, and then the other thing that would happen is so we would be walking and I have a couple of clients in wheelchairs. So it wasn't just that they were able-bodied in that way, but we would be going around. And if there was somebody walking, coming towards us from the other direction, and they started to do the comparison thing, yes, I would say, talk it out loud. Let's stay in the moment with that. And they'd be able to say, well, when that person walked by, I was comparing myself and I was thinking, why can't I be more like that person? Or, oh, thank God I don't look like them. And, and in, in the that, head again. Exactly. Back in the head. And we were able to work with the triggers in the moment. And I found that to be something that was difficult to do in an office. Of course, because it's just you and the other person. Yeah, they have to use memory to go back or fortune telling to go forward. (laughs) Exactly. So the art therapy and drama therapy that I've used in my practice, that opened up lots of things as well, obviously. But the walkie-talkies for this particular question about what you said, inhabiting and the body and head being split off, it just really was a good intervention, I thought. I love it. You know, I'm friends with you on Facebook, and I see every once in a while you find these sort of stuffed animals and stuff around in your, in your walks, and you put them together. And I just always love how whimsical that is. And I think you found something one time, and you go, oh, well, now they're just messing with me, you know, well, or something. People are leaving me thinking. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if this is important for the podcast, but just to clarify, the reason why that started to happen, where I started posting these pictures and finding these things, is because I stopped being able to walk with clients around the lake because of the pandemic. So being outdoors, while that's a good thing in terms of working with people, being outdoors and talking about really personal stuff, like how they got their body shaming and what they feel about themselves, I couldn't do that anymore and keep confidentiality. So I had to stop that. So I kept walking just every day from my own self. And I became more aware of things around me. And that was pretty amazing because all of a sudden I was like, oh, I never know. I never noticed that before because I was always with my client. So in a way, walkie talkies have been, you know, therapeutic for me, but I do miss being able to walk with my clients. But that's why I started noticing these stuffies and there's just all these treasures around the lake. It's adorable. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, and everywhere. I mean, I find when I walk, I see all kinds of, you know, oh, somebody left a little tiny toy tiger under a bush. Huh. wonder what that means. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to find meaning in everything. Or I'll find a little half a mouse. Oh, where's the other half of that mouse? You know? <laughs> anyway. Right. I mean, the things that if I still did sand trays, I would yeah. have a whole arsenal. Of, exactly. Of Exactly, exactly. So right now you're doing most of your stuff on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're all kind of locked into a little cage. Somebody said we're meat in a box. (laughs) That's really true. And I think that I'm not taking or haven't been taking on new clients during this time because I think the work I do at this point, it had to be based on more that we already had the connection. 
I agree. Yeah. Since I'm doing more kinesthetic and creative work instead of verbal therapy, it's been hard for me to establish new relationships and then start treatment that way. But I do find that the Zoom thing is really good in terms of helping folks manage their environment in terms of the new challenges that are coming up for people who are struggling with their bodies and with their food. It's like doing a home visit in a way. It is. It's very vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And if they want to show me their closet and say, okay, so this is where I keep all my fat clothes. This is where I keep all my skinny clothes. And then we can talk about why are you saying how what long is have that? You been before you, <laughs> you born? Yeah, let's talk about and it's not threatening, but it's the kind of thing that wouldn't have come up so tangibly You're right. outside in the world. So so there is something to be said about that. Yeah. And something else about that you may see a kitty or a dog or a little kid wanders into the room and we're working with ourselves and the people that we work with in our element, in the real world, because this is where it's all going down. There's that great thing I saw on TV the other night that this young woman was doing the weather cast and wanders in her little two-year-old and is kind of climbing up on his mom. And she said, I don't have a life anymore as soon as he started to walk. <laughs> I, even though it looks like I'm in an office, I'm actually in my living room and he just came in. And so she did the rest of the weather just like we do as women or men, as parents, just pick the kid up and continue on. It was just the well, best. is just a sign of, of our resilience too mm -hmm. and our flexibility. It's like when I walk with clients around the lake, some of the things we get to work with are like, I call them drive-by shoutings. <laughs> so they're drive-by shootings, but these are drive-by shoutings. And that's when somebody would drive by or walk by and go, hey, fat ass, keep up the work, or good for you, you're working it off, or just, it's an assault. It's an assault, I know. And it's intrusive, and if that happens when you're by yourself, that could be really scary, really triggering, really upsetting. If it happened when they were with me, we can process it, and we can work on coping skills about it, and when is it appropriate to answer back? When is it appropriate to ignore it, but take care of your inner self from the assault? So at the same token, when you're working with people in their homes, those kinds of opportunities do open up. So I think, it, like you said, of women practitioners being willing to be that flexible and not be too rigid in their structure. And then also, if you're there with them, you can kind of, what do you think about that? I just remember I was walking with a young woman one time and somebody yelled at her, don't you dare lose another pound or something, because I think she had a very kind of intense look on her face as she was speed walking, you know, and I was trying to keep up with her. And we both just started laughing, <laughs> laughing. And she goes, I do think I have that kind of look on my face, like, I have to get this off. She goes, but I wasn't really doing that, but my face must have been doing that. So she took that as a joke, but I could see by herself or some other time it might have been too vulnerable or too intrusive or mean in a way. 
It mean, yeah, because it really is indicative of a bigger societal problem that, of course, if a woman is out exercising, the only reason she's doing it is because she wants her body to look acceptable or more socially normal, which is, again, why I have them we take off any Fitbits because exercise is healthy. It's good to get out in the fresh air. It's good to move your body, but it doesn't have to be for the end result of, of losing weight or, and how dare anybody assume that if I'm walking around the lake, I'm doing it for that reason. It's presumptuous. Yes. And I lay that at the feet of the diet and exercise industry that they have taken something as uh wonderful as what we eat, what we bring into our bodies, how we break bread with ourselves every day, and how we move. Our bodies love to move. They love to dance. They love to walk. They love to hang out and do whatever they do. They're built. Our bodies are built to do that however way we can. And taking those two wonderful things about being a human, food, and walking around, and turned it against us so that we have taken it and used it as a whip against ourselves too. Right. And one of the things that as a recreation therapist that we're trained to do, recreation therapy is a modality that not a lot of people know about, but it started way back in like World War One, and, and a lot of our original clients were coming back from the World War. And these were people that would go off to war and they would leave their lives and come back injured or disabled or amputees or something. And recreation therapists would work with them on finding new ways to feel efficacious in the world with this new body and these new abilities, different abilities than they had from when they exactly. went on. So one of the things we do is what we call leisure counseling. And we try to have people go back to what you were just saying. Go back to when you were young. And think about the stuff you used to do that moved your body that you just liked doing. You weren't doing it because you wanted to look like a model or be an athlete. You did it because it was fun and it felt good. And we try to identify what the qualities were of that. Like, did you do it because it was a risk? Like, was there a rush? Was it a thrill? Was that the thing? Or did you do it because you got into this flow and this groove and it was calming? Exactly. And then we try and get them to figure out things as an adult with whatever their abilities are that gives them that joy of their bodies, joy of movement in their bodies. And a lot of times they'll come up with similar activities as an adult that they'd forgotten that they loved to do as a kid. That's right. Uh, Yeah. So that's another way to work with the body acceptance and taking care of yourself and keeping yourself moving and staying out of that other area. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me on The Wine Road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Exactly. And I think about watching my son and then he grew up and he has two kids of his own and watching them 
just play with that whole body play. Just use every part of their body just running flat out or jumping, you know, or jumping on the trampoline or hanging upside down on the bars and just not a thought in their head at that time of how does my stomach look when I'm hanging upside down on the bars? <laughs> it's just being okay because it was the thrill and the excitement of being in a body that can do these things. Yeah, and also there's a time that we are pre-competitive that we forget about. Like there's a time where when you're watching another kid's body doing something like on the jungle gym, let's say, you're looking at that to learn how to do it. You're not saying, I want to be better than that kid. Exactly. You're You're just like, that looks like fun. I want to learn to do that. And so you're you teach your body if you're able to do your version of it. Then, unfortunately, that sort of gets, dare I say, bastardized, you know. Yes, of course. That were perverted or whatever because it becomes into this competition thing or I've got to do it better and bigger and more. If you can get back to that sense of, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to know how to do that. And your body really enjoys different games and different positions and things like that. So, And to trust that our body will be able to do that in however level it can be. I'm thinking about every year on my birthday, I do something I've always wanted to do, but uh, I've been afraid to or just haven't had the time to or just didn't do it. So one year, I went to the circus school in San Francisco and said, I want to fly on the trapeze. So they said, sure, just come at this day. We will give you some lessons, and then you'll end up flying on the trapeze. You'll go from one end, and on the other end, we'll catch you. And I said, okay. So I prepared, and I watched, and I looked, and I was like on a little tiny bar, and I did all kinds of stuff. And the hardest part was climbing up that rope ladder. Yeah, uh-huh. I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> this is too hard already. <laughs> but I did it. I climbed all the way up to this little, like a popsicle stick uh, place to stand. <laughs> you know, uh-huh, right. like my feet were hanging out, right. But it was yeah. so small. And then they were throwing the bar to me. And finally, I caught it. And they were like, hop, hop. And I was supposed to go and Every time you say hop, I'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going. Finally, okay, I did. And I could not believe how much that hurt to hold onto a bar and let your whole body weight go. And I just fell into the net. And anyway, it took me a while and I was able to finally fly from one postage stamp to another postage stamp (laughs) and was caught there. And he says, okay, you want to come back tomorrow? I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I never have to do this. <laughs> no. off my list. I'm not going to do it. But what I realized is the only competition was with myself. Can I do it? Do I want to do it? How, how can I do it? What do I need to do to do it? And yeah, You weren't trying to please somebody else. Not at all. So not at all. And I would have been like the first time I fell into the net. Uh-huh. If that was it, that would have been fine. I I got up there and I flew for a, 
one foot, that's okay with me. But anyway. That used to be an assignment that I would give my students. I, I was a professor at San Francisco State for like 15 years. And one of the assignments I gave them was to try an activity that you've always wanted to do. And I said, and it doesn't have to be one of those like, try something because you're terrified of it. It could just be something you've always wanted to do. It doesn't have to be like this big thing. And then they would go off and do it and write a paper on it. And then they would present the activity to the rest of the class. And then the the rest of the class might get a little bit, oh, I'm going to try that sometime. So there was a sense of education that happened also. It's like, oh, I never thought of doing that. But it was so interesting to see the the scope, like trapeze versus just going to the ocean because the person had never been to the ocean. I mean, there was such a wide range. For sure. I remember at some point going to the movies alone. Like I just always thought I needed a person to go with me. Like I wasn't allowed to go in the movies by myself or to eat, to eat out with a table for one, just myself. And uh, those were things that was a big deal for me. I just had never done them before. I always had to have that wingman with me, you know, all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And that builds up confidence. And that definitely generalizes to a sense of body efficacy and agency and confidence. It's like the more you can, like, do that and come up with your own standards of what is enough for you and what's good enough for you, then that carries on to how you are in the rest of your life. In every way. Yes. Yes. We're always trying to get our clients. I was always trying to get myself into ownership, into I am the owner of this body. This body owns me. I own it. It's like a dog. I own the dog. The dog owns me. We're we're a partnership, you know, and uh, I am the one that can drive the car. So <laughs> the dog, but the dog is You're very, useful. You're yeah, definitely useful. I'm useful, but the dog is the one that takes me on a walk for sure. And people will say that is who's walking who? And I'm like, my dog is walking me. I don't know about you, but I drove us here, but now he's in charge. I feel like that with my body. I have to let my body guide me. I'll guide it. It will guide me. I'm in partnership with it. And that's inhabiting, isn't it? It is. It, especially when you have been given the messages your whole life that that's not your place. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do that. One of the things I have in my book, so my book is a month by month almanac. And I call it the Calmanac. It's Dr. Calmanac because it's like, calm down. Let's just calm down and look at every <laughs> month. Yeah. And you're supposed to read the book a month before the actual month. So like we're in February uh, as you and I are speaking. So I would have my clients reading March now so they could prepare for the challenges that come up in March. And one of the things about doing that is if you can predict what your challenges are going to be because there's always going to be challenges that that come up out of the blue there's always something always something but if you can really look at what the ones are that you know are coming and you can prepare like for instance spring spring has this whole thing of spring into the new you spring (laughs) into your new body you know and they and there's like spring you know and it's like 
okay, I know that's coming. I know for some people, St. Patrick's Day is a rough day. If it's because of eating disorders or alcohol, uh, substance abuse or whatever, but it's, it's a time where excessive stuff, there's a lot of push to do that. And so anyway, in the book, it talks about, look at what the predictable challenges will be for you in this month. And then take your ownership of it and say, that's going to be there. You know, history is not fate. It's like, I know I have a history of having a rough time in March for this, that, and the other thing. Passover seders for me were like, really difficult. Yeah. Or Easter with all the Easter candy. Oh, absolutely. And so it's not like that means that you are destined to keep doing that. You can predict it, you can own it, and you can change it. So I think what you're saying is the more experiences you can put together, like doing the trapeze or walking without reacting to some idiot saying, hey, you know, move that butt, you'll look great in a month, you know, whatever (laughs) the trigger is. Yes, yes. You build up a sense of ownership. Like you said, you're inhabiting, like your card says, you're inhabiting your body and mind and heart and soul. I love that. And what is the name of your book? It's called Dr. Day's Calmanac. Oh. Your interactive monthly guide for cultivating a positive body image. Oh, so, I just love it. Yeah, it was patterned after the old farmer's own. Sure, of course. It talks about how do you grow a healthy crop. And you start to do things in the spring or a month before or whatever. And then, and I even have like illustrations in it that are very much like the illustrations from the farmers. Oh, it's fabulous. And where can they get that book? It's for sale on uh, barnesandnobles.com. It's for sale on amazon.com. My website, it's for sale on that. But I think it's a little cheaper at the bookstores uh, than it's on my website. And what's your website? drdea.com and dea is d-e-a-h so it's drdea.com fabulous oh i just love it so much and i love that idea of it's sort of growing yourself isn't it it really is yeah and like for instance i'll pull out one real fast it's like it has important dates to remember and it'll talk about how the first week of march is love your body week so it's got like important dates about body acceptance and eating disorders awareness week. And it's yes. got all of those. And yes. it also has things like Passover and Easter can be really challenging. So be aware of those, you know, so it goes through that. Yeah. Oh, and then each chapter has two expressive arts activities in it that you can do at home by yourself to work on whatever the challenge for the month is. And you don't need fancy materials or anything, but there's two activities for every month. So the book has a total of 24 activities oh, in it. it's just the best. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's I love it. It's just the best. I, I'm so happy to have this uh, new tool. I'm going to get it and have it in my office and tell my clients about it. So I wonder if you will read... The bottom of the card today, I will practice. Today, I will practice checking in with myself throughout the day and notice what my thoughts are. I will then bring my awareness to my breathing, taking a few deep breaths 
and notice where I'm holding tension in my body, I will ask myself, what am I feeling in my body? I will allow myself to come home mm. and practice being present in my body. I mean, it's such good advice. And I love the fact that it says today I will practice that because a lot of people, they'll do their morning meditations or their morning visualizations. It's kind of like New Year's resolutions. You mm -hmm. know, the first week of January, you might be all on it. And then it's like, mm -hmm. you know, not that I'm a fan of New Year's resolutions. But, no. um, but with something like this, it's really reminding you to do it throughout the day. Yes. So just in the morning, your body doesn't like go away no. after your morning meditation right. so keep checking in yes. keep checking in you know we have to come home to our bodies it is our only home really we're like a little turtle we're carrying our body around with us and we have to be okay in here it's just devastating if we're not really yeah, it really, really is. And especially with COVID-19 right now, our bodies are just so much more precious. Like you're aware of your body so much more. And it's like like snails that carry their shells, their homes. Yeah. One art activity in the book where I have people get a shell or a rock and, and it's about making something that they can carry with them to mm -hmm. remind them of themselves, just like a snail or a turtle. And I love that, you know, you brought up COVID because uh, to me, I had a client in not that long ago that was just really down on her body. It's just not in good shape. It's, she just feels like she's just gained all this wait during this. She's home all day sitting, looking at a computer screen, and she feels terrible. She's eating. She's just living in sweatpants, blah, 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 and just doesn't like what's going on. And I said, well, have you gotten sick? And she said, no, I didn't get sick. Then maybe your body is doing a pretty good job. <laughs> that is really important. That's so important. You didn't get sick. It's fighting... This virus, I'm sure it's in the air somewhere, and it so far has fought it off. So maybe that's all we can ask right now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Anyway, I am so grateful for you to be on today and really appreciate your work and always have and know that you were out there, saw your little refrigerator magnet all the time and thought about it. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs>